Welcome to the Buds and Reality Show. I'm Sean Collins, the guy with a lot to say. And I got a very special guest this week, Mr. Larry Sharp. How you doing, my friend? I am good. Thank you for having me aboard. I appreciate it. Oh, man, it's been a long time coming. I've been wanting to do this for a while, and I've kind of been a chicken about asking you, really. But then, uh, you know, I, I recently called your show, your radio show, and that was kind of yep. fun. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to hit this guy up on Messenger and be like, hey, let's do this. You know, the worst you could say it's, is I tend to go on as many podcasts as I can because I realize something. This is the future of media, right? We're seeing it. It's the future of media. And I don't know who's going to be the next heavy hitter, right? Is it you? Is the guy behind me, the guy in front of me? I don't know. But either way, people are coming to individuals far more than they are coming to institutions. So I go on all the individuals because we need to support each other. We need to keep growing. So particularly whenever you're not mainstream, right? If, if you or I were just to just, you know, copy the mainstream Democrat or Republican talking points, we'll be fine. But we're not going to do that. So we need this type of media. So that's why, yes, I'm happy to come on. I'm glad you invited me. Oh, yeah, I totally dig it. And the one thing about podcasting is, you know, we're not, we don't get subsidies from the government. So we can just say what we say in the most honest way possible without getting any clap back from, you know, the powers that be. We might get clap back from, you know, other people or whatever for things we say, which does happen. But that's part Until of Until the feds infiltrate this, then- well, hopefully we don't get there, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> that would be terrible. Yes, absolutely. When the feds infiltrate, now we got to watch out for the feds next. That's the next problem. Yeah, that's right. Well, they're, they've always been the problem. They always will be the problem. Well, <laughs> <Yes>. hopefully not. <laughs> you know, hopefully we'll uh, get some more libertarians in there and get the fed out of the way. But, uh, yep. but, you know, that being said, man, you know, I appreciate your time. You know, I personally love what you're doing. I love your shows. Thank you. Um, you know, you're doing great things out there and you're turning a lot of heads, which I'm all about. If somebody's turning heads, yes. I, I dig it. So, you know, I think, you know, that's that's kind of been my my thing, right? My my shtick. And there's a lot of stuff, a lot of people who can do a lot of good work in the liberty movement. And liberty movement isn't just the party, obviously. It's bigger than that, obviously. But the part that I try to focus on is reaching out to non-libertarians right? That is what I'm good at. It's what I focus on. And I focus on it based upon usually policy or ideas. It's my skill set. It's what I'm good at. So I try to do what I'm good at. That's my niche in the movement. And some people like you, thank you, who see it go, oh, good. Larry's doing his thing. Awesome. You recognize that I can't do everything. I shouldn't do everything. We need a movement. Other people do other things better than I do, right? And they should go do those things. I'm focusing on my thing. Well, some people get mad at me. And they go, Larry, how come you aren't doing the other thing? Because someone else is better at that, right? <laughs> Let them do that. I mean, you look at someone, a perfect example of that, someone like Scott Horton. I can't be as good at anti-war as Scott Horton can be. I just can't be, right? That's his thing. He's got to do that. And he's good at it. And I let him go do that. And he lets me do my thing. And we're good. We need a whole lot more of that. I just picked up one of his books, actually. Uh, a buddy of mine just mailed it to me. We swap books. Kind of a funny story. So... I had the theory of money and credit by Ludwig von Mises. Perfect. Yes. You, that print in that book is so small. And even with my glasses, I couldn't even get through it. So I, you know, I got about six chapters in and I had to throw in the towel. I was like, you know what? I can't do this. And I, you know, I, me and a buddy of mine, actually this guy right here, the infinite zeal syndicate who actually sponsors my show. Um, nice. We started, we started this thing on Twitter called the Liberty book club. 
And so Ooh, I like that idea. Good idea. Yeah, and so we we just kind of, you know, do our thing with Liberty Reads. We tweet them, you know, and people are kind of jumping on board. Even Lars Mapstead has started tweeting books. So that's pretty yes. cool. You know, I, lo- I like Lars. Lars, um, as you know, I'm, I'm doing the presidential forums. Uh, Lars is on my presidential forum. Michael uh, Termat is on my pre- presidential forum. Uh, Chase Oliver is on my presidential forum. And Joshua Rodriguez. They're all in the forums. You want to know what? I actually wanted to bring that up, so I'm glad you did. I really, I really appreciate you doing that because, you know, right now, and I don't mean anything bad by this at all, by all means, you know, I, I like Dave Smith, but it seems like the libertarians have their mind made up that he's just going to be the guy. And me personally, I like choices. And I think that, well, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. My, my, I have a couple issues here. One, I know Dave. I like Dave too. I'm, I'm by no means anti-Dave. I just tell you my, this is my opinion. To be forward, anyone listening or watching, I have no inside knowledge whatsoever. This is just my opinion. Dave has not told me this. This is my opinion. I think he's not going to run. That's what I think. I think he's got a, a family with small kids. I think his comedy career is killing it right now. If I was him, I wouldn't run. So my opinion in is... He's watching to see if we get somebody decent. And if we get somebody decent, I think he goes, you know what? These guys are decent. I'm not going to do it. That is what, and again, I have no inside information. He has not told me this. That's my bad. I think he's going to watch. And if, if we get a bunch of knuckleheads who don't do anything good, I think he'll step in. If not, I think he's going to walk away. I don't know. What do you think? You know, I'm not either here nor there on it. You know, I'm just more of the fact that, you know, it seems like everybody had their mind made up already. And right. I'm like, don't sleep on Lars Maps said, don't sleep on Chase Oliver. Don't sleep. On I agree. Mike, you know, which I just, I'm not too hip on Mike. He just actually started following me on Twitter. I followed him back and I happened to see a video of him uh, doing a speech in Minnesota. Yeah. That really got my attention because he was talking to anarchists and I kind of lean that way more myself. And mm-hmm. so He's on my radar. I actually want to get him on the show and, and talk to him. I'd like to get Chase He'll on. Come on. You know, I've had Lars on already. You know, yep. I, I believe, I don't want to say I was the first show that Lars did, but I'm pretty sure I was one of the first shows he did when he started getting on pods and stuff. So, you know, it's it's been cool. And I like that you're doing that and showing up yes. out there because, you know, just to have one person shoved in your face. It's kind of like, you know, even with the duopoly out there right now, everybody's shoving Biden down their face on the Democrat side. Yes. And everybody's shoving Trump down their face on, on the Republican right. side. You know, there's other choices out well, there. Well, the other thing I'm doing, if you've, I don't know if you're noticing, but I'm using co-moderators that aren't libertarians. Oh. Yes, oh. my co-moderators are not libertarians. So um, Chrissy Mayer is more independent Republican slash, I think she's a Trump supporter. Um, and the woman I'm using now, which is uh, Kim Iverson, much more independent, used to be on Rising, has been both left and right. She's an independent reporter. So I'm bringing on people who are not libertarians. This way they can ask non-libertarian questions, and we as libertarians can hear our candidates answer non-libertarian questions, which they're going to have to answer when they get to the, the main stage, right? So they can see that happen and see if they like the way they answer or not, and those people have non-libertarian audiences who will watch because of them and see us and they'll see libertarians. So I have twofold. I'm testing our candidates so that they can be better, but I'm also exposing them to non-libertarians to get more people into our movement. 
I like that a lot. I really appreciate that. That's a, that's a great thing. Now, you know, I've been, you have been a talking point on my show many times because uh, a fair amount of people that listen to my show aren't necessarily libertarian. Um, mm. They might be people seeking something different or just want to hear different ideas or different yeah. point of view. And so you've been a talking point on my show because of how you got done in New York during the last election for during the governor race. And it was completely foul. It was vile. Yep. It was dirty. I don't want to get too worked up. I've gotten very angry about this before on your behalf. Um, I want to hear your side of the story. Tell my people your side of the story, because now we get to hear from the cat's mouth what really went down. Well, the funny thing is, after 2018, I had learned many lessons on what's pay to play, what isn't pay to play, how to move things, all those types of things. And I learned a lot. And I started building for my next one, my next run already trying to find more coalitions, people to get behind me, finding more money from out of state, all those things. And one of the things I realized, and many people don't know this, they say, you know, we got to get into the polls. So we have to get into the polls. I'm like, the way to get into the polls is to buy the poll. That's how you do it. People don't know that. Because I was not in the polls in 2018. I was not in, unless they put me in, right? But I would, I call them up and say, why am I not in the polls? What's going on? Why am I not in the polls? And they said, well, you don't buy the poll. I said, what? They said, you got to buy the poll. I said, oh, I thought this was like fair. Like, this isn't fair. This is it's not fair. Buy the poll, you'll be in the poll. I said, oh, I didn't know that. I said, how much does the poll cost? They said forty dollars or $50,000. I didn't have that kind of money. So I couldn't get in the polls in 2018. Well, now 2022 comes along. Well, now I already have some packs set aside, some pack money set aside to buy polling, right? So I knew this. I learned my lesson from 2018. So I had four years to prep. So I started prepping, right? So I was ready to go. 2021 comes and I've already got some people who are buying polls for me, right? So they buy the poll. I'm in a poll, multiple polls. And these are mainstream polls, right? Zogby, these are mainstream polls. And I'm polling at 6% across New York state in 2021 before I announced for 2022. That is insane. That meant all my prep work for the four years was working because I crossed New York state every year. I literally still campaign every year, whether, whether I'm running or not, I am in every single county, There's 62 counties in New York state. I visit every one of them every year, do an event in every state, in every county, no matter what, every year. So I still do it. And I do, as you know, I do my Western New York radio show every Tuesday. I do a call-in show that's out of Western New York, out of Rochester, I do it every week. So I'm still known throughout the state. I haven't, I haven't stopped. And this year will be my sixth full sharp as I cross the state. So I'm polling at 6% and I go, oh my God, 6% as a libertarian statewide and I haven't announced yet. This is magical. All right, let me go to other parties, talk to them. Let's create a coalition against the establishment Democrat and win this damn thing. So I go to the parties and they start listening. Yeah, Larry, you're right. Maybe you're right. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I go to Republicans and in New York state, we are a fusion state, and most people, if you don't live in New York, don't understand how this works, but it's very special to New York State. I can run on multiple lines at the same time. As long as the parties give me a, a piece of paper, I don't know why it's called this, but the name of the paper is called a Wilson Pakula. Don't know why it's called that, but that's what it's called. So if you get a Wilson Pakula, you can now run in someone else's party. They will allow you, similar to how Bernie Sanders, officially being independent, can still run Democratic Party right? Even though he's not a Democrat, same idea. 
So I could have done that. I could have run as a libertarian in the Republican Party, but also have a libertarian line. So I could have been listed as a Republican, listed as a libertarian, listed as a forward party, because I was talking to Andrew Yang also at the same time, and also listed as a conservative. I could have had four lines. And in New York State, all of the votes combined count. That's how it works in New York State. So I thought, this is a chance to actually win this damn thing. We could do this. All my work had worked. I went to the Republicans finally. I said, Republicans, let me do this. It went, Larry, no. I said, okay, I'll, give you, I'll make you a deal. Let me run in your primary. If I lose in your primary, I lose. But if I win your primary, which you know I will win, I will have all four lines. We'll win this thing. And they went, damn, you're right. You would actually, wow, you, you'd actually win our primary. You'd actually win this damn thing. Okay, Larry, what we're going to do is we're going to sue you off the ballot. And that was their answer. Their answer was, you might actually make impact and win and screw everything up. We have a very cool deal here where we're all making money. We're all grifting. We're all doing great. You're going to come in here and mess up our money. We can't have that. We don't actually care about politics or helping the state or any of that garbage. We care about grifting and us having money. You're going to come and mess that up. So we got to sue you off the ballot. So they spent $100,000 to sue me off the ballot. And yes, I countered. I mean, we countered. We, I, I raised almost half a million dollars last year. About three hundred to four hundred thousand of that went to trying to get trying to get on the ballot, and about a hundred thousand went to um, lawsuits, trying to counter their lawsuits and then appeal and appeal. We we went to court a total of nine times or eight, eight or nine times, state and federal. Lost everyone, lost every appeal. Judges did not care, didn't give a damn, did not care at all. Even when I told them literally, it's in writing. I had I did oral arguments. I did written arguments, and I literally said to them, you are creating an aristocracy in our state. You are creating an aristocracy where only the people who are already running are able to run. People who are already in office can run. That's it. No one else can run. They didn't care. I said, what you're doing now is literally impossible. And then I appealed after we all tried and failed. The guy who was the Republican candidate, his name was Lee Zeldin. People got mad at me and said, Larry, if you don't have the, you can't, you can't get on the, on the ballot because you don't have the support too bad. Lee Zeldin tried to get on the ballot as an independent candidate. He couldn't do it. He was the sitting congressman and the current Republican nominee, and he couldn't get on the ballot as an independent candidate. That's how impossible it is. I want to say it again. He was the current Republican candidate, a sitting congressman, and he couldn't do it. Then another guy tried who was a multimillionaire worth $40 million. He couldn't do it. Now, after that happened, I then went back to court again in another appeal and said, look, I told you it was impossible before it happened. Now here's the evidence. It is impossible. This is the first time in 76 years that in New York State, there will be no independent governor candidate on the ballot. First time in almost 80 years. Look, it's impossible. I'm giving you evidence of it being impossible. And they went, yeah, whatever. No, didn't care. One judge actually said to me, well, no, the, the, the whole goal of this is to make sure no one can be in the ballot who can't win. Literally acknowledging, I don't want other choices. No. They're dirty. They play dirty and that's yes. their game. And they, have, and they have so much money and it makes it impossible for the smaller guy because you, know, you said you raised a half million dollars. But that's chump change compared to what these Republican Nothing. Democrats yes. are on. They're that's getting right. millions of dollars in, in monies and donations and, you know, from boosters and whoever it may be. The governor raised $22 million and the Republican raised $13 million. 
I was nowhere near them. And they were guaranteed the ballot. So they got on the ballot automatic. They got to use all that money to campaign. I didn't use it to try to get a ballot, still couldn't do it. And here's the worst part. I would have taken this to the Supreme Court and I might've been able to get there. Dude, I ran out of money. I couldn't go, you know how much it costs? And they have a scam here too. You have to, in New York State to appeal, make copies of all documents, paper copies of all documents. That is a rule or you cannot appeal. Well, all of my, my, my documents were including signatures. I spent tens of thousands of dollars making paper copies just so I could appeal that they didn't even bother reading because they would not take my appeal unless I spent tens of thousands of dollars making copies. I'm not joking that you could see that. That actually happened. That's real. So of course, at one point, when I want to go one more, I go back to my donors again. And they're like, Larry, we love you, but I can't keep giving you money. I can't keep throwing good money after bad. I literally ran out of money. And I said, if I just had more money, I could have gone to the Supreme Court. And I might've won the damn thing. Who knows, right? I might've. Because once it gets that big, people start seeing it and they're getting embarrassed. As long as you can keep it local, to your point, nobody cares. Nobody cares when it's local. If I could have got it to national, I might have won. I, I ran, I, I literally ran out of money. I kept going back. And I told my lawyer, wait, let me see if I can raise more money. And people just, they stopped taking my phone calls. Because in 2018, when I had a very good, powerful campaign and people were seeing victories, people kept giving me money. In 2022, my campaign was garbage. People get mad at me. Why do your campaigns are garbage? I had no money. I physically couldn't go anyplace and do anything. All my money was going into paying petitioners or paying lawyers or getting copies. I had zero dollars, which are raising money. And it's all going to the state. So how can I do it? I just couldn't do it. So in 2018, people were happy to keep giving me money because I was having successes. In 2022, I kept failing. I was losing every single lawsuit. It's hard to go back to someone and say, Sean, I know you love me. Can I get another 10 grand? Larry, no, I can't keep giving you money, man. I can't keep doing it. And that's what happened. I wasn't mad at them. I got it. I was disappointed. I was saddened by it. I was broken by it at the end. I mean, it was when I look back at that race now with hindsight, I wish I hadn't run, Sean. It was far more pain than it was, than it was success. It was far harder than I wanted it to be. I burned bridges. I burned donors. I burned volunteers for nothing. It was a terrible campaign. And it was because I just, I couldn't beat the system. I couldn't do it. And the Libertarian Party in general abandoned me. You know, there were, there were many individuals who jumped through hoops and tried their damnness and, and fought in the trenches with me. But as a general rule, the Libertarian Party was like, whatever. They didn't care. You know, it's, it's actually mind-boggling and disgusting at the same time that you have to have so much money to try to make a difference yes. in a community. Yes. Like, you have to be rich or you're not going to yes. make it. And that's not what it's even about. But they make it that way. You know, yes. here you are. You're trying to do amazing things. You're running on a, an amazing platform. And you're trying to make, you know, everything better in New York State. Yeah. And because you don't have any money, you know, that, that's just the name of the game in politics. It's all money. So if you're I broke, wish it wasn't true, but you're right. If you know, and that's it, it, it's bad. And that's why it's, you know, so hard for any third party to get, you know, any type of traction in the first place because they don't have any money, whether it be, you know, Green Party or Tea Party or Constitutionalist or whatever it may be, you know, if they don't have the money, they don't get to move forward. And not, this is the stranglehold that the duopoly has on us right now. And somehow, some way we got to figure out how to 
to beat well, him. People keep getting, I, I, people do get upset. Larry, why are you so focused on money? Because you can't move without it. I wish it wasn't true, right? I wish, I wish it wasn't true. But the only way for us to make changes is to get in front of the right people. If we get in front of the right people, we can make changes where money won't matter as much. But until then, and the average person, sadly, Sean, doesn't pay attention. They just go, oh, well, you didn't break, you broke the rules or you didn't do it or whatever. They just assume that the rules are just. They assume the rules are good. They assume the rules are fair. And they assume I'm just bad and I can't make the thing happen. I'm like, but I did it before. Obviously, the rules changed. Nobody cared. It was very well, difficult. Nobody really, I don't want to say nobody, but a vast majority of the population in America are very blind to what happens behind the scenes and how things Correct. work, you know, with, with elections and such. And they don't really know anything outside of what they're seeing on Fox or CNN. You know, that's, yeah. that's the way of the world. And it's unfortunate that, you know, people, you know, aren't waking up more. They are waking up a little bit. A little, I, yes, think, I think you're right. A little by little, we're waking up. But we need to be waking up by thousands, by millions, not little by little. And that's, you know, that's a hard stretch right now because people are so, I mean, you know, I don't want to call them bootlickers. I kind of do, but, you know, they're so involved in just- Here is what I would say. There's two things we got to worry about here, two. One of them, you're correct. The vast majority, we as people in the liberty movement, as libertarians, we often fool ourselves. And we say things like, everybody's really a libertarian. If you just ask them, that's not true. No. <laughs> at, at least half of America right now, if you gave them a choice, would happily elect the king as long as they could pick the king. They would yes. take a king. As long as they could pick their king. They would be like, yeah, if he's my king, yeah, he's a big king. They'd to be totally with it. We have a lot of work to do. But it's a second piece here that I've got to add into that too, which is most people can't hear us. And they can't hear us because culture war. Culture war is important. Don't get me wrong, we can't ignore the culture war. But we as, as a liberty movement, we can't fight the culture war. We've got to have an answer for the culture war. If we join a side, we get ignored. And here's an example. If you pick a side, let's use a, a popular culture war thing, which is uh, kids transitioning. Huge, huge culture war issue, right? If you say, no kids to transition, don't do it, Trans is evil, and that's how you feel personally. If you say that, good for you. That's your view on a culture war. But now every Democratic or left-leaning voter goes, oh, I can't talk to this guy. He's obviously a bigot. He's obviously a racist. He's obviously misogynist. But they pick every if they want to pick, call you that and ignore you. The right goes, oh, he's on my side. That's good. But I already have a champion. It's the Republican. So you still don't get the vote. Now, the opposite. You go, no, no, no. People, kids should be transitioning. You have the transition all day long. It's all good. Trans, don't worry about it. Okay, great. Now, Democrats go, oh, good. That guy's on our side. Wonderful. But I have a champion. I have a Democrat. Republicans go, I can't listen to you. Now, does that mean we shouldn't touch culture war? Of course we should. But touch culture war as an activist, not as a candidate. And those are two separate issues that most people don't get. As an activist, you should be knee deep in culture war. Of course you should. Of course you should. You want to be on, a, on, a, on, the, on the line of freedom for consenting adults in every single issue, of course, you should, you're an activist. When you are a candidate, you have to have an answer for the problem. You can't just take a side. And it is unfair. It's wrong and terrible. But with a two-party system, there is no choice. In a two-party system, you can't pick a side as a candidate. 
because you've got to get votes as a candidate, which means you've got to have a solution so that people will notice you. If they don't notice you, they go back to the left-right paradigms. So you've got to have a solution. And man, is that hard. And it's unfair. But it's the only way that a candidate can work it. Yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense, you know, and it's, uh, I hate our political uh, world right now that we're in, in, in America, it, we're in bad shape. And yes, it, it, it's, there's no other way to sugarcoat it. I mean, we're in bad shape and everything's a dumpster fire. Everything they touch turns into a dumpster fire. And we could go into a 10 hour show about that. But I mean, at this point, why is it so important to get libertarians elected? during this yes. time of madness in this country. Yes, and I learned this lesson the hard way last year. For those of you who are listening or watching and you remember my 2018 campaign, I was able to get on all the big shows, all the big shows, and people heard my message. People remember me from 2018 to this day. I still recognize in the streets from Joe Rogan from 2018, still to this day. Why did it happen? Because those people saw me as legitimate. Why? Because I was on the ballot and I could get votes. That's what they saw as legitimate. The second last year that I was removed from the ballot, the state used a very important word when, they, when I get in the ballot. They, they said, Larry Sharp was disqualified. And that was a word that just devastated me because that was my Wikipedia page. So, yes. So whenever anyone came to me, oh, he's disqualified. He's not real. He's not, a, I couldn't get on any major media at all last year, because in their eyes, I was invalid. Now, I know libertarians don't see that as valid. I get it. I don't either, right? I care about your views, your issues, uh, principles. That's what I care about. But the, the vast majority of the country is not libertarian. They don't. They care, are you valid in the eyes of the establishment? If they see that, they will then listen to you. So now you can turn them. So why do we want to get people elected? Because once you get them elected, people will now hear our message. That's the reason why. It's not because the election itself is so powerful. I mean, it is powerful, but in reality, say we get one congressman or one city uh, council, that's not gonna change the world. That's true. However, will it get more people to hear our message? 100% yes. I learned that lesson. We need to get people elected by having solutions so people believe we're valid so they'll hear our principles and such. Remember something, to draw people into our movement, they're not gonna come to us as libertarians. They come to us as pissed off Democrats, pissed off Republicans, or pissed off Americans in general. So they're not libertarian. They come to us as, what's going on? Maybe I like one thing you said. That's why they come to us. We have to show them that we make sense and then slowly convert them, right? You don't become Marine when you go to boot camp. You become, you become Marine after boot camp. You got to go through boot camp before you become Marine. Absolutely. Before you become a libertarian, you got to go through that process. And too many of us, and this is my, my, here is my plea to my brothers and sisters who are hardcore ANCAPs, hardcore anarchists, to be very forward. I'm one of the only mainstream candidates who embraces all of you because without you, we don't have a movement. Without the anarchists, without the ANCAPs, this party becomes either either Democrat light or Republican light, depending upon you know, more people who are in here. You You're have right. to have that side. Yes, we have to have that hardcore side of our party to keep us pointing in the right direction. That's our North Star. Here's what I would ask you. Many of you are the most intelligent, educated, knowledgeable 
of our, of our movement. Be nicer and be more of a teacher than a scolder. That's what I want you to do. Recognize that my job is to bring them to you. I'm the recruiter. I bring them to you. And then you go, oh, thank you, Larry. We got this from here. And then you now educate them. Don't scold them. Teach them. Hey, let me explain how things work. Let me give you a book you can read. Oh, you want to talk about that? Let's have that conversation about taxation. Let's have that talk. I would like you to be more of the teacher and less of the scolder as I bring more people to you. That is my request. I needed to hear that. <laughs> me personally, I needed to hear that. I get, you know, I can get pretty heated. I'm pretty, I'm a pretty in your face guy, you know, and I can get pretty hardcore at times. So, and I, there's a lot of us like that, you know, and I just, yes, you know, I got, a, I did a show with an author who was an ANCAP that's going to come out uh, this week as well. And, you know, a lot of people look at anarchists, like we're a bunch of selfish pricks. I mean, they do. And it, it, it's, it could be further from the truth. You know, yes, we, we care a lot about everyone and 100%. about their rights and, and their natural rights and their personal property, you know, being their body too. like your body is your personal property. A lot of people don't think of it that way. But, uh, you know, would you say that right now in this political landscape where people pretty much have their mind made up, would it be a little more important to start getting libertarians elected locally and start yes. making local noise? I say all the time, people say, Larry, why are you fighting so hard for the governorship? Here's the reason why. People always say, well, Larry, the top of the ticket doesn't matter. You're wrong. Both matter. The top of the ticket has the best opportunity for press, but the least chance for victory. The bottom of the ticket has the best chance of victory, but the least chance for press. So top of the ticket has to get the press so it can deliver it to the bottom of the ticket so they can win. And we don't see that. I did this. I taught the talk and I walked in 2018 when I ran for governor. It was the most popular libertarian campaign, non-presidential we'd ever had. Not even close. Most popular, raised the most money, most important across the entire, entire state, across the nation in, in 2018. Most biggest one. Absolutely. How do I know that? Because next year after I got ballot access, I covered my state again. I, as I said, I covered my state every single year and I supported local candidates. And local candidates usually don't get any press, but because people knew who I was, I had the press connections, press showed up to see me because I'm going out, I'm supporting Sean Collins, you know, we're running in some local city council. Okay, but I'm showing up. I'll do a speech, tell them how smart Sean is, why he matters, talk about some of his issues. The press shows up. I say, talk to Sean. Sean gets an interview. He's on, a, he's on a local news. How do I know that worked? Because in 2019, which is our local year in New York State, we had 107 libertarian victories. Wow. We went from zero libertarians to 107 in one year. That's how I know. I got the receipts. So you can't tell me I'm wrong. I said we should do it. We did it. We got the receipts. 107 local. They were all local. They were like water board, city council, but they were all local victories. 107 in New York State, the least free state as ranked by Cato multiple years in a row. And then the very next year, the state came in and destroyed our party. Really? Yes. How did that Next year, down? the state came in, they destroyed our party. They decided to change all the rules during COVID lockdowns two years in when we usually get, get it for four years. They decided, no, nope, you only get it for two years. Just making the rules up, breaking the law, nobody cared. 
and then said, here are the new rules. And you and now your presidential candidate, they now force you, if you want to be a party in New York State, you have to run a presidential candidate. What local parties run a presidential candidate? None do. So destroyed all local parties. And again, nobody cared. That's now in our state, our state rules now are that. And they did it, here's the worst part, not even through a law. They did it through a budgetary line in the budget, wrote it in. Everybody wow. passed it. We were destroyed. Destroyed everything. We lost shit? everything. They just yes. want yes. <laughs> yes. This is why I couldn't believe it. I honestly believe it. silly me, Sean. I honestly believe we had a shot of winning last year. I thought we had a shot. I'm sorry, winning the lawsuit, not winning the, the, the governorship, but winning the lawsuit. I thought we did. It was so blatantly wrong. I thought, of course we're gonna win. No judges cared at all. They were blatantly. One judge, Judge Weinstein in Albany, literally said, he wrote in his rebuttal, Larry Sharp did not make a constitutional argument. It's in writing. And in the transcript, I literally made one. So either he lied or didn't bother reading. I think he didn't bother reading. Well, I mean, for somebody to come out and say a libertarian didn't make a constitutional argument sounds like bullshit in the first place. Like, and what? it was again. <laughs> I have the receipts if you want to see wow. it, literally in transcripts and in my actual written argument. So my written and oral arguments, I actually use the word unconstitutional. I use that word. I got the receipts, and he said no. He didn't make an argument, a constitutional argument, and I. So either he didn't read it, which is what I think, or he just didn't care. Or somebody. And that's what pocket. I was up against. Somebody's in his pocket too. I mean, let's not pretend like that doesn't happen because we sure know. You know, so, so what we, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm giving you some boohoo bad news. I apologize. No, I, my point being, I do think we need to start getting local people elected, but we have to support the top of the ticket to draw in the press so that the as long as that and then that person who becomes more popular can then give that to the down ticket. I did it this year. I went down to um, you probably know we had three local libertarians running in Jacksonville in Florida for um, city council. I literally flew down to Florida, went down, did a fundraiser for them, trying to support them. I support local candidates all the time, but you also have to do the big stuff so you can get the press to be popular enough to support the down ticket ones. So I think you need a two-pronged attack, but be realistic. The top of the ticket is probably not gonna win. I got it. Get popular with the top so the local people can win. Cause local is exactly, you're completely correct, Sean. Local is gonna get people to believe in us, Locals can get people to see that we are valuable. Locals can get people to say, oh, libertarians, they're actually pretty smart. And that will eventually build our farm team to where now we can start winning bigger. That, you need a farm team. Here's the good news, though. If you go back 10 years or so, maybe even less than that, most libertarians would run, lose, go away. That's not true anymore. Now we're running, we're losing, and we're staying. Why does that matter? Because the institutional knowledge that we gain, we're now giving to others. So lots of people now who are running call me up and say, Larry, I'm running, what do I do? And I give them, you probably know I did a, um, I did a uh, Take Human Action Tour uh, training in New York City. I did another one of the trainings again in California. Um, I, I do trainings whenever people ask me to. I do trainings all the time. I'm telling people, here's how you fix it. Here's what you do. Here's what I went through. I'm giving people the lessons that I learned which we didn't have before. When I ran in 2018, I went blind. I learned all this shit the hard way, <laughs> right? So I learned all the hard <laughs> way. way. to learn. Yes, but now I'm telling others, don't learn the hard way. I already got my butt kicked. Let me tell you what to do. 
And so I think we're, we're having that now that we just didn't have years ago. Spike is still here. He's teaching lessons, right? I'm still here. I'm teaching lessons, right? People are still teaching the lessons. So now we can be better and better. If we have people stay, not just that. You, you mentioned the idea of me doing the, doing the, um, uh, I'm sorry, the presidential forums. One of the reasons, another reason why I'm doing it, our past has not been very good when it comes to presidential candidates. We have very often said, oh, here's some guy or gal who's no one who, who lost in their own primary. Let them come in and save us. I don't want that. I don't want us pulling in some Republican retread to show up and be our candidate. So the people who are running now that I mentioned that you mentioned, they're all actual libertarians who've been part of the party, who've been donating, who've been eating our same dirt. I want one of them, or Dave Smith, who's also been part of the party, whatever, anyone, right? Justin Amash. Justin Amash has he's been part of our guy. party. I know Amash. <laughs> 100%, right? He's been one of us. He's eaten our dirt, right? I'm, I'm okay with anyone like that. What I don't want is all of a sudden, I don't know, Tulsi Gabbard shows up next May and goes, can I be your queen? No. 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 There's so many now, reasons. Now, hold on. <laughs> I want to be clear, though. If Tulsi Gabbard wants to join our party, yes, she's welcome to join the party. She's not welcome to represent it in any way, shape, or form. But if she wants to join it and say, hey, I want to test you guys out and hang out with you, yes, come with us. You know, donate some money to some of our candidates, show up at some of our events, maybe do a couple of speeches or something, whatever. If you want to help us out and try to be part of us for a while, welcome. But you may not run for office. You may not represent us at all. But if you want to come and kind of see who we are, happy to have you. Maybe you'll bring some press, you'll bring some money, come on in. But no, I don't want you showing up and being our candidate. Now, if she wants to stay with us for a couple of years, and then she actually begins to turn to her she can see who we are. She turns her policies around. You know, anyone could change. If she joins us and changes over the course of years, fine. Let's let's see that happen first. Is all I'm saying. I don't want her. Or anyway, I'm, I'm using her because she's a popular example. But that's anyone. I don't want anyone showing up saying, "Oh, can I now be your king and queen?" No. You want to show up and help us out and eat the dirt that we eat, and feel the pain that we feel, and stick with us for a couple of years and then begin to see our ways and change your views. I'm open to that. Let's wait, let's see if that's gonna happen. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't like the idea of just somebody coming in and just being the savior. You know, you gotta you gotta go pound sand for a while. Like, Absolutely. Like, you gotta yes. put it to work. You don't just come, you don't, don't get to come in and be the, the person, the guy or the lady or whatever it may be. That seems absurd to me. I know a lot of but people- But we did it before. We have done it before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't wanna do that, that anymore. Before. Did not work. Yes. You know? Don't want to do that. Look, you I know, look it up for myself. I'm not just talking trash, right? In 2012, I was supporting Gary Johnson. In 2014, I was the driver for our governor candidate, right? In, in, in New York State. I was the driver. I was the body man. I, I did the work, right? I was, I was supporting him. I was writing him checks. I was doing debate prep with him, right? 2016, I was in the press for Gary Johnson. I was the money for Gary Johnson. So you know what? I paid my dues from 2012 to 2018, so that when I ran, I'd eaten dirt like everyone else had eaten. I pounded sand like everyone else has, right? So I'm happy if these people want to come to our party, please come, but work. Then we can talk about you representing us. That's right. That's right. I dig it very much. You know, my big thing when we were talking about the local stuff is I am a big fan of nullification. And mm. libertarians would be a great, great uh, way to get nullification process going 
because we all know that the federal government's not going to decentralize itself and they're only going to get worse. Like they're never getting better. They're only getting worse. So nullification is extremely important. I preach that a lot on funds. You know, right now, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in communist Michigan. We got, you know, Gretchen Hitler at the helm and uh, I know the feeling. (laughs) And so they just passed a bunch of red flag gun laws. Yep. And uh, Livingston County, which is a rural county in Michigan, it's Metro Detroit still, um, is having a vote today on whether or not they're going to enforce those rules or not. Mm. And I'm going to say probably not that they're not going to do it because they are, uh, they're pretty red. So, I mean, but this is important. Like nullification is important. And a lot of people who play for, you know, each side are not with that. So it is important for libertarians to get into local spots just for that reason, because then, yes. they, you know, I'm in Oak Park, Michigan, you know, if we had a libertarian mayor, she could say, hey, we're not going to do this, you know, whether anything, whether anything that's unconstitutional, we're not going to do it. It's we're protected by it. You know, nullification is a thing and we're not going to play your game and you can't do anything about it. You know, well, I, there's another way you can do it in certain states. Those of you listening. Some states, actually, they will go in and fire the people. They watch you do it. So what you have to do is you have to, what, what I talked about in New York State was, you make it the lowest priority. You don't actually not enforce it. You just make it the lowest priority. So you tell your police force, if you have a choice of picking your nose or doing that, pick your nose, <laughs> right? It is the lowest priority, which is a nuance, but just so in certain states, you'll get in trouble by saying no. They will literally come in and fire you. So you, if you're in one of those states, you're listening, you don't say no, you just make it the lowest, and I'm doing air quotes if you're listening to this in the podcast, <laughs> the lowest priority, right? So it is, which is the, basically the equivalent. But publicly, you don't say you won't do it. You simply publicly say it is the lowest priority. We only have a certain amount of, 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 of dollars to enforce use enforcement this is our lowest priority so just, i just want to bring that up for people in other states might be listening well you know i like that you know when shane hazel was running down there in georgia one of his talking points was you know going to talk to your local sheriffs and be like we're going to leave peaceful people alone this is how we're going to do this you know rather than saying hey we're not going to do x y and z yes no, we're going to just leave peaceful people alone if they're Perfect. not hurting anybody or taking their stuff or violating private property there's no crime, which is a libertarian stronghold anyways. That's kind of one of our big talking points as libertarians, which I yes. love. That. I love that idea rather than just be like, hey, we're not going to enforce your laws or we're not going to do this. Right. No, no we're just going to leave peaceful people alone. Another great way of doing it. Shane's brilliant. I love Shane. Right. And I, I'm biased. Him and I have both Marines. So I'm biased, but it's fine. Um, I love Shane. He's great. But yeah, another way, right? You nullification is real. But the problem in many states, you can't say that. You have, to, you have to find another way of saying it when doing it. In New York State, by the way, this would drive many libertarians crazy. The judges literally say jury nullification is not a thing. You may not nullify. <laughs> they literally say it. They, I know I've been in a jury. I do jury consulting. If, you, if anyone has a moment, you can check out FIJA, F-I-J-A.org. That is the Fully Informed Jury Association. They talk about jury nullification and how to get around states that tell you you can't do it, right? Because they literally say you may, in fact, they'll ask you if you believe in it, they'll throw you off the jury up front during jury selection. 
So New York State says, no, the state matters. You don't. The state matters. If it's a law, it doesn't matter if it's unconstitutional or wrong. Too bad. You must put people in jail. That's what New York State says. The judges tell the juries that. So juries get scared. They see a judge and they do it. And they don't realize that. And for those of you listening, you cannot be prosecuted for during jury nullification. You cannot be. You cannot be. Even if you say it, you can't be prosecuted for it. They can throw you off a jury. That they can do. What a shame. But they, but they can't. I don't want to be thrown off a jury. I want you, if you're jury nullification, I don't want you thrown off a jury. I want you on the jury. Oh, okay. <clears throat> no, no, no. I wish, I wish every jury was full of libertarians. Oh, I've been, in, I've been in a jury twice. I never, I, I try to get on juries. Of course, I want to be in a jury. If you, you, you write just about nullification, I can't nullify if I'm not in a jury. Very true. So if you're listening to this and you have jury duty, yay, get in that damn jury and be a libertarian on it and be a libertarian on it. And I hope you get like some possession charge that you can just say, keep your mouth shut because they're going to tell you you can't. And then when it comes, not guilty on any possession charge, not guilty because possession's not a crime. Nope. Period. I don't care what the possession is. Possession of a gun, of a, of a substance, it's not a crime. No one's hurt because you have something. Did you do something with that thing? That's different. That might be a crime. Did you steal to get that thing? That might be a crime. That depends, right? I don't know what you did. But having the thing is not a crime. So every so please, if you're listening, if you get jury duty um, uh, summons, take it. And I'm going to give you my advice. Again, if you want to, I did an actual, I actually did a, um, I did an event with Fija, F-I, again, F-I-J-A dot org. And Google that plus Larry Sharp. I did a whole session on it if you want to see it. I tell you on how to get on a jury. So if you get a jury summons, get on that jury if you're a libertarian. Teach these prosecutors to not charge these crimes. If you want to stop them from charging, prosecutors don't care. All they want is a conviction. So if they can't get convictions, they will stop charging the crime. They don't care if it's a crime. They don't care if it hurts people. They want a conviction because they, they move up in the ranks directly by conviction rate. That's how they move in ranks. They get promoted and rewarded by conviction rate. So if you start not convicting these crimes, they will stop charging them. And if they stop charging them, cops will stop arresting because cops get promoted by good arrests, which lead to convictions. So if you stop convicting people on these crimes, prosecutors will stop charging them and cops will stop arresting them. It is literally that simple. So please get on a jury, any possession charge, not guilty. You decide whatever you want, anything else, but any possession charge, not guilty. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because then I did sound sour about jury duty because I had a good friend of mine that got caught up in a case. He got called for jury duty and this case went on for almost a year and it was a gun possession charge for somebody, but because this guy had a lot of money, he was able to just keep it in court and keep it in court. Yep. And my buddy was pissed. He's like, I got to go to work, man. Like, what, yes, am I, you know, what am I going to do? You can't just say, hey, I'm done doing this. That's a problem if you do that. You know, so. No, you can. No, no, no. To, to be forward, also, you can. Your livelihood does matter. If you get in that stop, you can tell a judge, judge, I can't come back anymore. I got I to you gotta, I gotta get paid. I, I can't. And they'll let you go. That's why they have alternates. Oh, okay. See, I don't think he every, was aware of that. Every jury will also have alternates. So say there'd be 12 jurors. There'll be three, four, or five alternate jurors in case someone leaves. So, okay. yes, if you have a problem, you don't lose your livelihood. 
right? So if he's in trouble, he can just tell him, judge, I can't do it anymore. I got bills to pay. I can't do this. And they will let him go. Yeah, I don't think he had that impression at all. And he just- They don't say that because they don't want you to leave. Judges don't care about you at all. So they tell you things that make their life easier. Let me say it again. They would make their life easier. The reason why they push you into, um, into plea bargaining is not because they care about whether you're innocent or guilty. It cleans their docket up. Yep. They don't care if you're innocent. Just hurry up, please, so I can get to the next guy. I got I to gotta, I gotta go on vacation in two weeks, and I can't spend my time in juries. That's why they care. They don't want to be in court. They don't care about any of that stuff. So you need to know that if you can get in the jury, you should get on one. You should nullify without saying it. And if you got a problem, you can get out. You can get out. No worries. Good, good That's why they have all I like that. I yes. like that. Now, I, I, am a, I am a consultant for defense attorneys. So oh, okay. I, do know the, I do know the game a little bit. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, what advice would you have for anybody that was thinking about getting involved in running for office as a libertarian? You know, what would be your, your advice to them? And how did you get involved? Wow. I could do three hours on each of those. Um, <laughs> sure. I'll give sure. you how I got involved first, and then I'll go to the other one. Um, I actually got involved enough to stop Bill Weld. Okay. Most who don't know this, but in 2016, um, Bill Weld was running to be the VP for Gary Johnson. I, Bill Weld was that we, ju- we had just talked about. Some Republican retread is going to show up and be our king, right? I actually love Gary Johnson. I think he's a good guy. He could have done better, but I think he's a nice man. I think he's a real libertarian. I think he cares. I love the guy. No shade on Gary Johnson. I'm glad he's no longer our, our guy now. It's fine, but no shade on him. Bill Weld, I got some shade for Bill Weld. I do. I was not happy with Bill Weld at all. I didn't want him to be uh, the VP. So I met, and I know I knew Gary Johns. I still do know him. Um, but now he's off climbing mountains and stuff, which is fine. It's good. So Gary Johns and I actually met in a diner in New York. And we sat down and I told him, I said, look, I want to uh, be your VP. At this point, he didn't have Bill Weld yet. He said, Larry, I don't want you to be my VP. I said, why? What's going on? Because I'm not sure, but I want to get somebody, you know, who's going to really be able to bring in cash, blah, blah. He goes, I don't, I don't really want you to be my VP. I said, all right. I said, Governor, tell me, because I always call him Governor. So Governor, tell me if you want me, I, I won't run. This is what Gary Johnson said. And for those of you who are listening who may not like Gary Johnson, this is one of the reasons why I love the man. He said, no, Larry, you should run anyway. You'll raise the bar. Now, he could have just told me to not run, and I would not have run in 2016. Because he said so. I would have just been, I, I respect you, I would have walked away. He said, no, Larry, run, you'll raise the bar. That's what he said. Nice. That, that's a good man. Whether you agree with him on how he ran his campaign or not, that's a good man. He could have told me, no, he did not. He's in a run. So I did. And I tried to beat Bill Weld, and I lost by 31 votes. It was almost a Johnson Sharp um, 2016 wow. run. Yes. Okay. 31 votes in, in, uh, in, in, um, in a uh, convention of over 1,000 people. I lost by 31 votes. So I, uh, it was third round, but I was second or third round. Everyone else had gone out. It was me and him. I was the last one. I, I, I barely lost that damn thing. So once I, I got involved because I wanted, I didn't want what I just said, right? When I talk the talk, I also walk the walk, right? Like I don't just talk trash. No one, and when I say no one, no one spent more time, money, and energy to try to stop Bill World from being part of our party than I did. Nobody. Literally, I dropped five to six grand of my own money 
took five weeks out of my life to run that campaign to be the VP. I, I couldn't raise any money. I had no time. Because when I realized what was happening, I just jumped on and just did it to try to stop it. That was my money, my time that I spent to do that. I lost, but I didn't quit. So I said, you know what? I'm going to still help out, try to move forward. Now I realized after 2016 that once Johnson and Weld lost, that there would be no central purpose in the Libertarian Party. And Libertarians are like Mongols. And I'm very serious when I say this. We're like Mongols. If we don't have an enemy, we fight ourselves. Oh, yeah. So we got to have an enemy. We got to have a purpose. Like someone's got to say, get together, get the Chinese. And oh, all the Mongols like the Chinese. Okay, we, we beat the Chinese. Now what do we do? I don't know. Fight amongst ourselves. Okay, let's go fight the Japanese. Okay, great. We'll fight the Japanese. Okay, good. Okay, are we, we're done with that. What do we do? Fight ourselves. Right, so we got to always find something to do or we fight ourselves. So I said, I'm going to be that guy to do it because people knew me now from the VP run. Libertarians knew who I was from the VP run. So I had enough libertarian street cred to make a run. That's why I chose to make New York State. Now, that wasn't the only reason. Initially, I was done with New York State. I was ready to just leave. I was actually looking to go down south. I was going to go to outside of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, because I'm a consultant. And what I do, I need a big city to consult. I need to have a big city for me to make my money so I can consult big companies, law firms, tech shops. I need that for my consulting business. So I was going to go down to Charlotte. And I realized I could sell my matchbox, my shoebox of a house in New York and buy a mansion in North Carolina and still have money left over and pay less taxes. And I was like, oh my God, it's amazing here. But instead of me moving, I got angry. And I said, why the hell does my state suck so much? Right? New York State, for those of you who know New York State, is an amazing state. It's beautiful. Whatever you want is here. Lakes, rivers, mountains, falls, hunting winter, skiing, summer beaches, and New York City has the best culture in the entire country. If you like opera, if you like uh, ballet, if you like musical concerts, sports, we got everything. We got history. We got Wall Street. We got whatever you want. It's, it's beautiful. Why does it suck so bad? Because our government is garbage. That's the reason. Not because the state's bad, because our government is garbage. So I said to myself, Sean, I said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to run I'm going to win and I'm going to change New York. That did not go as planned. But that's how I got involved in politics. First, to try to stop Bill Weld in 2016, then to save my state in 2018. I am in a spot, luckily, that most people are not in. I am able to not work for a bit financially so that I can actually take off and run. So when I run, I run full time, right? So I, I'm, I'm, I got my ass kicked financing in 2018. I was six figures in debt when I was done. But luckily, I am able to generate money with my consulting business to where I could pay that back, right? So I can right. start running that and paying that back again. So not everyone can do that. I'm lucky I'm in a position. So I was prepared to just take a year and a half. I didn't work for a year and a half. And for people who don't know, I live in New York City, a wife, two kids. My wife does not work. You can imagine my bills. I'm sure that got interesting. So you can imagine my bills. So, so you can imagine not working for a year and a half, right? This is why I went into debt. But again, I don't need your sympathy. I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm saying this, how dedicated I was to do what I want to do. So if I run again, jump on board. Because I, when I run, that's all I do. I don't work. I just run. So I knew I could do that. So I thought, let me do this. Because I'm someone in New York who could do it. I'm born and raised in this state. I know this state. Who else could do it for New York, right? It's me. 
So I did it. So that's how I got involved. If you want to get involved, here's what I would ask you. Several things. First off, are you prepared to take a knife in the back from fellow libertarians and then pull that knife out and get back to the person and say, excuse me, I think this is your property. Can you do that? If you say no, don't run because you will be backstabbed by a libertarian. Guaranteed, that's how it works. I don't know which libertarian, but one of them at least will backstab you. Every single time you run, if you accept that as true and not be angry and realize we have a small party, we've got to work together. We can't do civil wars, it does not work. And when they stab you in the back, you got to still keep in your world. That's not easy to do. One, can you do that? Two, if you decide to run, can you run a campaign to where it will be utterly and totally unfair that the two major parties will have so many advantages that it will be unfair and there is no recourse, none. You are simply running a campaign with one arm tied behind your back. Can you do that? If you go, yes, great, you should run. Next, when you're done running, win, lose, or draw, whatever happens at the end of that run, will you personally be the same or better off? Personally, not well, the movement needs. I don't give a damn about the movement. I care about you because we are the movement. If the individual is broken after the run, you've just lost an individual from our movement. I don't want that. Donor burnout is real. Candidate burnout is real. Volunteer donut, uh, burnout is real. Activist burnout is real. I don't want you becoming one of those burnouts and then we lose you. So will you be either okay or better after the run regardless of outcome? If you go, no, I'm gonna have to win this thing. Don't run. Only run if those three things are true. You can take a knife in the back. You understand you're running with one hand behind tied behind your back. And three, at the end, you will be the same or better off regardless of outcome. If those three things are not true, do not run. Help somebody else run. Or go be an activist. And do we need activists like there's no tomorrow. We don't have enough of those either. Go be an activist instead. Don't run, be an activist. All good, right? But only run if those three things are true. What should you run for? Only run for something that you are passionate about. Not, well, the party needs somebody on this line. I don't care about that. That's irrelevant. I care about you individually being strong. So if you're someone who the party comes and goes, hey, you understand, Sean, we need somebody at the city council. But every time you get pissed off, it's about national issues. Why are you running for city council? You care about national issues. Run for Congress, run for Senate. Or the reverse. We need someone to be on, a, on the, on the, on the uh, statewide candidate. But all you care about is the local town board. All you care about is the local guy who's getting screwed over by the zoning board. Well, run local then. That's what you care about. You got to run about what you care about personally. What gets you up in the morning? What gets your blood boiling? Because remember something, running a campaign is not a business. I tried that. I learned it the hard way. That's not how it works. Running a campaign is a passion project. The volunteers and activists are fueled by your passion. If you don't have passion, you're going to lose them all. So run for something that you personally care about. If you care about the, the, the war in Ukraine, Run national. Why would you be running local? You care about the war in Ukraine. That's what matters to you, right? If you care about these local guys screwing people over and the cigarette tax, why the hell are you running for Congress? Run for local. What are you doing? Run for the thing that you care about. Next, 
Can you get a team together? Are you ready to gather two or three people together to help you move your campaign? Larry, I don't need people. Don't run your, your fool yourself, you're wrong. You've gotta be able to get people behind you. If your passion can't get somebody to say, yeah, man, I'll help you with social media. Oh yeah, man, I'll help you with some of your admin. Oh shoot, I'll show up, I'll, I'll put some events together for you. You can't make that happen. You're a crappy candidate. Don't bother doing it. You're not gonna work. You gotta be able to influence people. You gotta get somebody that wanna help you in some way. Next, are you ready to ask for money? Well, Larry, I don't need any money. You're fooling yourself, don't bother running. You need money. Lots of it. Be, well, depends on what you're running for, obviously, yeah, right? True. But, right? <laughs> Very true. And maybe you're wealthy. I hope that the person listening was one has a lot of money on their own. They can write themselves a big check. I hope they can. Who knows? I don't know where, where, where they are, people are financially. Um, but whatever that is, please do that. If you, if you can raise money, if you can't get people to give you $1,000, how are you going to be an influential congressman or city councilman or alderman or you know, member of the water board, whatever? You've got to be able to influence people. That's the whole goal of being a candidate and winning is influencing people either help you out by volunteering or helping you out with cash, one or the other. So you got to be able to do those things. Are you ready to try? You do not have to be good at any of them. You can suck at them. The issue is, are you prepared to try? Because often if you run and you think you're, you're likely you're good at it, you're going to run more than once. If you run more than once, you'll get better at those things. If you're like, I don't need to ask for money. I don't need to have volunteers. You are wasting your time. We don't need you. Don't do that. Go do something else. Help somebody else run, be an activist. Don't take up a slot. Don't take up a slot. Let someone else do it. I hope that was clear. That, that's really solid advice. I mean, thank you for that. And I, you know, I'm sure the people that are listening will appreciate it. Now to close this out, I'm going to ask you some real controversial questions. Okay. Get, get ready for them. I see you making your rounds out there and doing your, uh, seems like almost like a restaurant tour going and trying to get, get libertarians or third parties on the ballot. And yep. so the first controversial question of all this is what is Larry Sharp eating when you're going to these restaurants? Yes. Um, for those who don't know, I've been on the keto lifestyle for 13 years. Oh, wow. It's how I stay skinny. How else can I stay so thin? Okay. I've been on keto for 13 years. So I eat basically protein, caffeine, and vegetables. What I eat. So my morning, even when I'm here, not campaigning, Almost every morning, I have four eggs and half pound of bacon for, for breakfast, almost every day. Damn. Yep. When I am um, out and about, if it's morning, it's eggs, bacon, sausage. That's what it is. And, and coffee. And I drink coffee. I drink coffee every day. This is my drug, caffeine. I drink it every day. How's your cholesterol? So, great. Keto, wow. if you're, keto lifestyle is amazing. Keto lifestyle is amazing. People don't know it, but you've got to give up carbs. So I don't eat bread, I don't eat rice, I don't eat potatoes, I don't eat pizza, I don't eat carbs. I don't have sugar, no sugar, nothing. I have no carbs. So my only carbs are vegetables. That's it. So at, if I'm having lunch or dinner, it's usually some kind of chopped steak, um, pork chop, chicken, with vegetables only. Broccoli, salad, green beans, something. So that's what I eat when I go out. I've been doing it for 13 years. Um, I am 55 years old, not on one prescription and not overweight. Nice. And there I don't go to doctors. I have, I only go to, a, I go to a doctor every four years. I do a checkup before I run so that I have medical records that people can see my medical records that they ask when I run for office. So I go to a doctor every four years when I run. Otherwise I don't go to a doctor. Okay. 
So then this might be a, a rhetorical question, but uh, what are you drinking? Are you doing beers or anything when you go out or is that totally oh, off limit when, when off you're- Off limits. Okay. I don't drink any alcohol. I'm, I'm, the funny thing is the only drug I use is caffeine. I, do, I don't do any, I don't even do alcohol, nothing. I'm the squarest guy there is, except for maybe Mormons have me beat. But otherwise, I'm the squarest guy there is. And There's I don't mind. Look, There's nothing and, wrong with that at all. And, I, and the funny thing is, you know, people think, oh, Larry, you're for cannabis legalization because you want to smoke weed. I don't smoke weed. I'm for cannabis legalization because people should put what they want in their own body, period. It doesn't matter what I think. What I think is utterly irrelevant. You put in your body what you want to put in your body when you want to put it. Done. Doesn't Love matter it. what I think. Love it. Plus, Doesn't matter what I think. I use enough cannabis for all of us anyway. So I there mean, we go. See, you, you, you already got me covered. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. You got me covered. Thank you. Okay. So here's some more controversial questions right now. Mr. New York man, Yanks or Mets? Yankees. Born in, born in Manhattan, raised in the South Bronx, right by Yankee Stadium. Um, so yes, absolutely Yankees. 100%, um, no doubt, but don't get me wrong. I don't hate the Mets. When the Mets do well, I'm happy for them, but I'm not going to lie and pretend I'm a, I'm a huge, amazing Mets fan. I'm not. I go to the games here in City Field, and before they used to work, play at Shea Stadium back in the day, I used to go to, I went to Shea Stadium and the City Field. I, I have probably like a, maybe a Mets jersey. I have one, but I have like, I mean, I could get, I probably have one right now. I have Yankee paraphernalia all over the place. Um, I have, um, I have um, Yankee, um, I have Yankee hats. In fact, I think I actually have right here. My mitt right here. Okay. So I am, I, in fact, if you look, I am, again, I'm in my 50s. Last year, um, I, was, I threw the first pitch out for the Brooklyn Cyclones. And I threw a strike. Nice. I can still throw a strike. And four years before that, I threw the first ball out for the, the Utica Blue Sox, which is a okay. Utica uh, local um, uh, baseball. And again, that's on video. And I threw a strike again. Just to be clear, that was on video and I threw a strike. And the guy literally goes, the, the announcer goes, um, straight down Broadway, strike. He literally says that. So awesome. I, again, I say I have the receipts. I have the receipts. <laughs> this, this old man can still throw a strike. And you can, all, you can back yourself up too. You got receipts for everything. I, I like got it. receipts. Yes. All right. So Giants or Jets? Giants. Um, and there, again, it goes back to the Yankees uh, thing. For those of you who might be paying attention back in the seventies, the New York giants played in Yankee stadium for a bit. And so I was able to go to a giants game in Yankee stadium when really? I was little. Yes. That's seventies. It's in the seventies. Um, that either at, they used to play in this, oh, what was the name of the stadium? Was it Downing stadium? Some people who old New Yorkers will remember this. I think it was called Downing stadium. The giants used to play there. Then they either tore it down or were rebuilding it or something. So because of that, the giants played in Yankee stadium for like, part of a season or something. I was like six or seven. So I got attached to the Giants very young as a little kid. So Giants, Giants and Yankees, and they're related because of that. Rangers or Islanders? This is a tougher one. I should be a Ranger fan, but I'm not. And that's because as a teenager, I lived on Long Island in the 80s when the Islanders were amazing. For okay. those of you who follow hockey, in the early 80s, late 70s, the Islanders were the team. They were, they were, they had won like four championships in a row. They were the team. The, the team that beat them was the upcoming um, Wayne Gretzky back in the day. Gretzky's Edmonton Oilers shut down the Islanders back in the, the mid to late 80s. But in the early 80s, 
I mean, the Islanders were the team. So I was on Long Island and I'm playing hockey, playing street hockey. So I became a big Islander fan. So now I'm still an Islander fan. Okay. I think I'm going to That know- one doesn't match. That one should have been Rangers, <laughs> but that one doesn't match. I think I'm going to know the answer to this just because of the history, but I'm going to ask anyway, Knicks or Nets? Knicks. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> Knicks, Nets are absolutely, yes. Yes, absolutely, yes. Plus, Nets are also, I mean, they're Brooklyn. And Brooklyn's not Queens or the Bronx. It's like a different country, so no. Very true. Very true. So, yes. I know New York has its areas, and people are very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they love their spot, and that's their spot. Provincial is the word you're looking for. Yes, they're loyal. Provincial or loyal. Yes. You know, they're very loyal to their area. You know, I got some friends from Yonkers, and they're like, Yonkers is it, man. That's that. And they're, Yonkers folks are hardcore. Yes, absolutely. I love, I love yes. those guys, though. They are great. Um, final question right now, and this is a personal one for me just because I'm a huge music nerd. Uh, I think we need music just to get through life, especially with all the crazy. What is Larry Sharp listening to when he's out there fighting the state? You know, the, the funny thing is um, I like music that is two separate types very soft and almost like romantic and super hard, hardcore. So like, I like Ice Cube and Charday. that makes any sense. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> right, does that make sense? So like that type, right? Those two types. And again, I'm older. So most of my music that I really like came up growing was 80s and 90s music, right? But today I find myself often listening to either very soft music like Adele, or literally German rap. I'm not joking. Really? In German? Yes, literally. German language and everything? In German. Well, my, my mother was German, so I speak some German. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. so Very literally like, like Koliga, if, you, if anyone happens to know that, no um, German rap. So the, that type where it's very uh, aggressive for basically German gangster rap. In, in, in Germany, people don't know this, in Germany, their gangsters tend to be Muslims. Really? Okay. Usually, usually, usually Turks or North Africans. That's Very how it works in Germany, right? That's because during after the war, that was that was their immigrant population that was working in in their cities. So now their inner cities are filled with either North Africans or Turks. Wow, I did not know that. That's uh, very interesting. And I did yes. not, I did not realize that Germany had a gangster rap. You know, I know Germans are usually known for like more heavy metal stuff, and because they have they have that too, and I like that too. Rammstein is a is a famous German uh, heavy oh, metal. Yeah, I, I like Rammstein. Guys. Absolutely, yes. So <laughs> hard, I like. I like Rammstein very hard. You know, that's also German. I, I love that too. The harder, harsher it is. I like like I like Nine Inch Nails when they came out. Oh yeah, right. So yeah, so I like very hard. And very soft. Those are my two things I like. Middle ground pop stuff, I'm not a fan of middle, middle of the road pop. I'm not a fan of it. I know, I know people like it. It's the most popular. It's called pop, but I'm not a big fan. I like it where it's very soft and poetic and lovely and nice. And when it's like, I'm screaming and yelling at you. I like those two. Yeah, I'm more of a... I'm, I, you sound like you're musically bipolar, like I am. That's what I call myself is totally musically true. bipolar because I literally listen to everything, but my go-to is 100% 90s hip hop. So I love Ice Cube as well, yep. um, but I'm also a big metal head. Yes, but, me too. And then, you know, but I love like 60s and 70s rock, all the classic stuff. You know, I think the 70s was the greatest time for rock and roll um, with the 90s being- My wife cool. loves that stuff. You and my wife would get along. She loves that stuff. 
That's not me, but she loves that stuff. We get along. Yeah. But yeah, I can go from anywhere from like Slayer to Lady Gaga, you know, back to back. I mean, it's not like I have to be in a mood. It's just whatever. So I dig your musical taste. You know, that's pretty awesome. Larry, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate you, appreciate you doing this. It's been a, a cool conversation. And uh, you keep doing your thing because you're doing awesome things out there, brother. I appreciate it. Guys, if you are listening or watching, if you want to follow what I'm doing, please check out. Just Google Larry Sharp. You can check out my YouTube page, Larry Sharp. Um, or check out my Facebook page, Larry Sharp. Twitter, Larry Sharp. Larry Sharp, everything. Very easy. I mean, you got radio shows. You got podcasts. You're doing your thing, man. And uh, you're doing great things for the Liberty Movement. We all appreciate it, you know. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people, you know, you're very re well revered in the community. Uh, as a matter of fact, my sponsor, the Infinite Zeal Syndicate, he said you're one of the people who turned his head to the Liberty Movement. He was on wow. the side of things. Uh, he's from outside of Jersey. He was kind of in that area for a long time. He's down in South Carolina now. But, uh, you know, he said you're one of the people that really turned his head to the Liberty Movement. So there's people. So maybe I'd get him to sponsor my show too then. Maybe so. Check him out. Infinite Zeal Syndicate. Actually, he's by far the most positive person you will see on social media ever. Oh, I like that. Like he's super, like, he hates the state, but he hates him in the nicest way possible. When the rest of us are like middle fingers in the air, and, you know, he's like, it's a great day to hate the state. You know what I mean? And he's just a great dude like that. So check him out uh, uh, at underscore infinite zeal. He's, he's a great dude and uh, he loves you too. And, you know, until next time, Larry, peace, love and liberty and take care y'all.